Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey everybody, seven o'clock means we're getting rolling. That means uh, the folks are joining us online, and I'm not even sure where all they're watching from. Uh, online at, uh, I think, summitpa.church, uh, probably from Facebook as well. I don't know. So we'll figure that out. But those of you that are watching online, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, hope you guys all had a wonderful Easter weekend. Uh, for those of you guys here in the room, great to see you all. And uh, yeah, appreciate you joining us uh, for another leadership night. And uh, just want to remind you guys, if this content is beneficial, if it's helpful for you, share it with somebody, let them know about it. Um, those of you that are watching online, share this with somebody. If you feel like it would be helpful for your team, uh, people around you, whoever it is, feel free to share it. Um, and I'd be happy, happy to uh, provide a resource if that's beneficial. Um, so tonight, we're going to be talking about developing your team, just generally speaking, why we develop and what that looks like. And there's a million things we could talk through, so this isn't exhaustive, but I think this is a good starting point for for the conversation at least. Uh, so before we jump into that, though, let's uh, just say a word of prayer before we get going. So let's pray together. Lord, thanks so much uh, for the people that are joining us here, the people that are watching online, the people that even watch this later. Lord, I pray your blessing on our time together. I pray that it would grow us, and I pray that ultimately uh, you'd be glorified for what happens in and through us. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Well, guys, thanks again for joining us. Um, like I said, talking about developing your team and the principles we're going to talk through, I think are applicable, whether you have volunteers on the team or, uh, or whether you have, um, a paid staff, whether you are the one actually hiring staff or you're recruiting, whatever it is. I think there's some of these principles should apply across the board. So what we'll do is we'll talk through some of these and, um, and if there's something that you are like, man, I, I want to add to this or I've got a question, raise your hand throughout and we'll, we'll pause and talk. Or if you'd like, make a note and then, uh, and then when I'm finished, we can circle back and talk through all that stuff. So, uh, feel free. So basically, um, why do we develop a team? Um, in the corporate world, I would say there's a couple of primary reasons we develop teams and, uh, and I'm a little nervous about talking through some of this as a pastor because uh, some of this might might look like, oh, this is how we run the church. And it's not necessarily uh, because it looks a little different in the context of nonprofits and churches and things like that. Uh, but I, I think there's a couple primary reasons why corporations and organizations develop people or have a developmental plan. And I think it's time and money primarily. And that sounds weird to say it that way. Um, but I think, I think healthy organizations understand the value of developing people, the, the actual monetary value, as well as what they give up in, in time by not valuing people. Um, I had read a, a study that was done in 2018, and uh, I just read it um, about two months ago. And the study said at that time, that the lifespan of S&P 500 companies was actually half of what it was in 1997. So, um, so how long a company would actually survive had gone down by half in just about 20 years. So in 20 years, companies were expecting to, to have a shorter lifespan, to literally start and live and die in a shorter amount of time. Um, what they're saying, according to their research, is they feel like by 2027, the average lifespan of an S&P 500 company is going to be 12 years, which is an incredibly short amount of time. Now, to put it in perspective, um, the average lifespan in 1997 was about 30 years. So it still wasn't like these companies were all like Coca-Cola or General Electric or something like that. Um, so they've basically almost been cut into one-third of what they were before. So what that tells us is uh, companies have a shorter time frame to accomplish what they want to accomplish, whether it's making money, uh, influencing their culture, whatever it is. So there's less time to do what they feel like they're supposed to do. Uh, the other part of that is, um, and again, these are very broad brushstrokes, um, 
I want to say for the record, I've got no problems with people in the millennial generation. We've got people on our staff that are millennials, and I value them, and I love them, and I'm grateful for millennials. But I will say, millennials have a, a bad reputation. Uh, they, they tend to have a reputation that they are entitled, uh, that, they, um, that they don't want to work as hard as older generations, uh, that they're not going to stick around as long as older generations. And statistically, we see millennials do change jobs at a much higher frequency than older generations do. So they've got this, they've got this reputation. But what we have to understand as well is, um, the boomer generation is aging out of the workforce and more and more of the workforce is, is occupied by millennials. Um, and in fact, well over 50% of the workforce at this time is millennials. So for some people, some hiring managers, bosses, they've avoided millennials for some of the reasons I mentioned earlier. They just won't be able to do that moving forward. They're going to have to engage with millennials um, for good or bad. And I think it's a good thing. I think it can be really good. Now, here's one of the great things about millennials. Uh, millennials, uh, they don't want to just earn a paycheck. They want to do something they believe in. They want to do something that matters. And this is a great thing because development can do a couple things for millennials. It can help them understand their value to an organization and help them feel valued by that organization. And if they do that, it should cut down on turnover uh, because they're engaged at a higher level. And if that's the case, then that speaks back to what we were talking about earlier as far as time. Because um, one thing's if you've hired people, you understand it takes a lot of time to go find people, plug them in, develop them, get them acclimated to your culture, and get them productive. It takes a long time to do that. And so if you can if you can cut down on your turnover in your organization, on your team, whatever it might be, it's going to produce higher levels for you, no matter what it is. So a couple of things regarding time that 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 I would say make a difference in developing a team. The other thing I would say is this. I said cost as well. Um, and again, I kind of hesitated to say this because it sounds like I'm a money-grubbing pastor when I say this, but I want you to hear this from a business perspective, not from a, from a pastor's perspective. From a business perspective, it makes good financial sense to develop people in your team um, because if, if you can bring somebody in before they're in their prime, you are going to pay them a lower wage to begin with, and you are probably going to have a lower wage even as they develop. But if you have to go buy talent for your team, then what's going to happen is you're paying a premium for them when they join your team, and you're already starting at a much higher level. Now, they are already more developed than this person is, but they're closer to their ceiling, so you're not going to get as much out of them, and you're paying more for it. And so that sounds horrible coming from a pastor because it sounds like I'm saying you just wring the life out of them, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm just saying as a, as a business model, it makes a lot of sense to say, hey, we're going to bring people in that we see high potential in, and we're going to develop them and raise them up. Um, and so it makes financial sense, and it makes sense when it comes to time as well. Um, so when it comes to developing people, the very first thing I'd say is, and we've talked about this a little in the past, but developing people starts with selecting the right people. Um, so if I want to develop a great team, the best thing I can do is recruit the best talent. It's amazing. Bill Belichick looks like a brilliant coach whenever he has Tom Brady on his team. Um, it's amazing how brilliant he is. But when Tom Brady goes off his team, now they aren't as good anymore. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a talent gap there. Uh, so is it that they just didn't have the talent or is he not as good a coach? Well, no, he was still a good coach, but he didn't have the talent. It's amazing how good, like as a pastor, I look when my team is performing well. When my team looks good, I look smarter. And I've told my team that. Um, and so part of developing people is, is selecting the right team, getting the right people, uh, as, as, um, as Jim Collins would say, getting the right people on the bus. Um, and so recruiting is getting them on the bus, developing is getting them in the right seat, again, as Collins would say. Um, so select people with the end in mind, and this is all we're going to say on selection stuff. We could do a whole, we could do weeks on that. Uh, but select people with the end in mind. So many people make the mistake of selecting people with their immediate need in mind. We go, hey, I need this position filled. You can fill this position. You're hired. 
And that's fine for right now. But if you're projecting for growth and for the future, you just killed yourself because whatever their capacity is, that's your capacity. But if you bring people in and you go, they might not be the perfect fit for this position right now, but they can do it. But man, they're going to be great for down the road. Then it's going to put you in a better position to scale and to grow and to develop. Um, so yeah, select a team that projects growth, even if they're not perfect for the, uh, for a fit right this second. So, I've got four points, some sub points. And if you want the notes, make sure you sign in, put your email in. I think I already emailed the notes to Tracy, so she'll get those out to you tomorrow if you would like the notes. Um, number one, be selective about who you develop. Now, this is different than what I just said as far as who you get on your team. Once you have your team, be selective about who you develop. Because I think our natural response is to go, we develop everybody. And, and that's not the case. Uh, everybody should be developed to some degree. There should be, there should be pathways for people to be developed no matter where they're at on the org chart. So like here at Summit, uh, we've got people, we, we've got things that people can do to develop themselves, whether they are, um, on, at the end of the flow chart or at the top of the flow chart, no matter where they're at. So we've got some things, some mechanisms that we want them to grow. Um, but we also understand, I understand as a leader that the return on investment is going to be different for certain leaders than others. So there are certain leaders in our organization that I go, I need to spend time with them because they're high capacity, they're, they're high potential. Um, and so there are people that I want to spend time with. So everyone has value, but not everyone offers the same ROI on your time. And so all of us as leaders have a limited amount of time and we've got to determine what is the best return on that time. And you've got to look at the people on your team that way and go, who can I invest in? Um, now, investment as far as development is different from investment as far as emotions go. Because I want to invest in all of my team emotionally. I want them to know I love them and I support them and I'm for them. Um, but my intentional growth is going to be spent with certain staff more than others. Because I know, hey, this is where I need this person to be or this is the capacity I see. And so I'm going to spend more time with some than others. So everyone can be involved in some development opportunities. And so for your department, your organization, whatever it might be, I would just encourage you, start thinking through, um, hey, how can we get everybody in the organization involved in developing somehow, uh, in some way? Because uh, maybe your organization has a formal growth uh, strategy, but statistics say probably not. And so if, if they do great, but how can we integrate people into that and get them connected? But at the end of the day, be selective about who you develop and how intentionally you develop them. Um, high performance and high potential are not the same thing. Those are two very separate, different things. Um, and we've talked about this nuance in the, in the, in the, uh, context of sales before. In a sales organization, you have somebody who's a great salesperson and they kill it. And then they get promoted to manager because they've done so well in sales. And then they stink because they have no leadership. They're high performer. Um, and so as leaders, we have to be able to discern the difference between somebody who's a high performer and somebody who has high potential and leadership. And those are the people that I would say I want to be spending time with, developing their leadership, helping them understand culture, helping them take the next step, all those kind of things. Um, so that was the first thing. Be selective about who you develop. Number two, start something for development right now. Um, uh, 83% of companies say it's important to develop leaders, but only 5% of those same companies surveyed said they actually have a development plan in place. So we all recognize, literally, well, 17% of companies said, you know, didn't say it's important. I, I want to know who those 17% were. I want to see, like, a list of those companies. Uh, but 83% said, yes, this is really important, but only five enough say it's actually important enough to do it. Um, and so you may or may not be in the same position where you go, man, I know development's important but I'm just not doing it actively. And this is where I would say, start something, do something. And so uh, I talk to other pastors about this because they look at our church and go, well, you're a big church and you've got programs and resources and all these things you can do. But I've told pastors, it might be something so simple as um, finding a book and, and finding three people in your congregation that you go, hey, we're going to read this book together and we're going to walk through it and just talk about the principles. And that might be a starting place. So for you guys, depending on your context, it might make sense to go uh, with your subordinates, hey, let's pick a book and twice a month on, you know, on Thursday during lunch, uh, we're going to eat lunch together and we're just going to talk through these leadership principles. Um, and the world we live in today, so many people are doing Zoom and, you know, go to meeting and all these different virtual platforms that it, it makes it even easier to say, Hey, we're going to connect and do some, 
uh, development together. So it might be something so easy as just picking a leadership book and walking through it together, uh, chapter by chapter or section by section. Um, but do something now. Don't wait till you have all the plans in place. Do something right now. Begin something. Um, and I would say the earlier the better. So if you can start doing development with somebody as soon as you onboard them, even better. Um, if you wait until after they've been there a while and bad habits are reinforced and mindsets are ingrained, it makes it tougher to change some of those. So I would encourage you, uh, the earlier you can start doing development with somebody who's been onboarded, the better your organization is going to be for it. Um, so do something. Even if you don't have all the pieces, you don't know all the answers, do something to start developing people around you. Um, one of the things we talk about with our staff even is I want you to have three kinds of relationships. I want you to have people who are mentoring you, uh, people that you're peers with and peer relationships with, and then people that you're mentoring. Um, so basically, somebody who's developing you, somebody that you're just friends with, and then somebody that you are developing, if we can say it that way. Um, because that gives us a different mindset, because a lot of us want to be developed, but we don't want to spend any time developing people. But all of us here, all of us watching online, have are in a place that other people want to get to. And so it's our responsibility to be developing other people. And I'll get into some of that in just a second. So start something, even if it's just an intentional lunch or a conversation or something like that. Do something. Third thing is this. Be a coach. Be a coach. Give opportunities to lead. Um, I've had this conversation, and, and I'm, my wife will say that she's a recovering, uh, what does she say? I'm a recovering Control freak is what she'll say. And I think we all have a little bit of control freak in us if we're the boss or if we're in charge of something. We all like things to be our way and to look our way and to go a certain way. Uh, and I had somebody a few years ago say, Mel, if you can, if you've got somebody in your organization that can do your job, uh, 80% as good as you, let them do it. And he wasn't talking about my literal job. He was just saying if there are things that you do that you can release, even if it's not as good, it's better for the organization. And then a few years later, I heard somebody say 70%. And the most recent thing I heard, if, if you've ever listened to Craig Rochelle, uh, Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast is fantastic, by the way, if you've never listened to Craig. He is a pastor of uh, Life Church, the biggest church in the United States, and he's a leadership guru. But Craig Rochelle says 60%. If you've got somebody in your organization that can do your job 60% as good as you, let them do it, and that'll allow you to do something else. So for me, it doesn't mean I'm going to let somebody preach because uh, that's a core competence. That's something I have to do. Um, but if there's other things that I'm doing that I don't have to do and somebody else can do it, 60% as well, release it. And we are reversed to that because we want it to be a certain level. And that's where we just have to make judgment calls and go, okay, is this something uh, that we can sacrifice that maybe it's not going to be as good right now, but long term it's going to be better. So one of the things that I've talked to our team about a lot is that excellence is a high value for our organization. But development is a higher, is a higher priority for us. So if we need to sacrifice a little bit of excellence in order to be sure we're developing people, I'll do that. So if, if we've got people who maybe, uh, they're, they're 70% as good as Todd or Kendall at leading worship as they are, uh, but we're developing them, we're getting better. Now, I just want to put people on stage just because we go, oh, we're developing, but we're really not. We're not going to do that. But if we're developing people, we've got a plan. I don't mind if we sacrifice a little excellence in order to do that. And, and that's what I'm talking about. I think we have to understand what our real values are and understand um, what, what our trajectory is, what we're really trying to do over the course of time, not just in the here and now. So give opportunities to lead. And if somebody can do it 60% as well, let them do it. Uh, challenge the people that you're leading. I think a lot of people get into organizations and they get bored. Uh, they get into a routine, into a habit. Uh, they're used to us not trusting them to do stuff, to lead, to do things that matter, and they just they just settle. They get locked in, uh, and they don't want to be off on the bench. They want to get off the bench, but sometimes leaders are too insecure to let them. Um, and depending on the organization, sometimes we might think, man, because I know pastors like this who think, man, if I let somebody else preach, what if they like them better? Um, well, right, because we look at it as a zero-sum game. Like if they win, it must mean I lose. But this is the thing, um, in your organization, my hope is you don't look at your part of the pie. I hope that you will look at, hey, if I'm developing people, we're just making the pie bigger. Um, if I'm developing people, there's just more for, for to go around for everybody. Um, and, and that's the good part of developing people, getting people off the bench and being secure enough as leaders to, to allow people to lead 
uh, when it matters. So we have to get by our own insecurity and just give opportunities to people to lead. Uh, the second thing under be a coach is uh, let them lead through the good and the bad. Um, I've seen sometimes we put people in such controlled environments uh, because we're so nervous about them failing that it's it's a slam dunk. It's like, uh, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, but it's like the, the there are no losers trophies in kids' sports, you know, and it's like, I'm sorry, Sean. I don't know if the YMCA Johnstown does that or not. But it's like, all the t- we're not keeping score, we, you know, because we just want everybody to feel good. You're all winners. And sometimes we want things to be so controlled, we're going to let you go, but it's going to be in a super controlled environment where we know you're going to be okay. And I think it's really good to put people in positions where there are real uh, consequences, and, and not their jobs necessarily, but I think it's good for them to feel the tension of leadership because if we're going to be honest, that's what leadership is. It is the tension we have going, well, I think this is going to work, but I don't know. We're going to try it. Um, I had this conversation this last week with um, with Christina, our kids pastor, and we were talking about some things that she was doing and she just said, I'll be honest with you, boss. I'm a little nervous because I don't know if it's going to work out or not. And I said, Christina, <laughs> we just launched our Blairsville location. And I said, I got to be honest with you. I felt like God was telling us to do it, but I didn't know if it was going to work. Like I had this tension, like, okay, there's consequences if it doesn't. And it turned out okay, thank God. Um, and so that is the tension we all live with. And that's the tension it's good for your team to experience, to give them something that matters to do that has some real consequences. Because if they don't experience that tension, they're not experiencing real leadership. Um, so let them lead in the good and bad uh, and don't coddle them. Uh, give them the opportunity. Um, under be a coach as well. Communicate clearly. Several things I think you should communicate. Obviously, expectations are huge. Um, and one of the things I feel like many times we don't communicate well is correction or coaching, as we would say in this context. Um, and I think if we do communicate correction, a lot of times it's formal. So um, I don't know if you have, but I've sat in formal reviews and my boss has said, Hey, there's some things we need to correct, which I expect in a review, right? And that here's what you need to do today. And he goes through the list. And, and I said, I had a boss that would correct me, but the stuff he would correct was from like eight months ago. And he'd be like, well, wait a second. How come you didn't tell me about this then? Like you've been ticked off at me for eight months because of, I didn't even know, right? Um, because he viewed correction as this is what we do at the formal review. I'm going to correct you then. But what I've found is people accept correction better when it's informal. So if I don't have to write them up, if it's not in their uh, personnel file, a lot of times they receive it better when it's more informal and I can just go, hey, we need to talk. Hey, how did you feel like that went? Can we talk through that together? Well, I was a little unhappy with, yeah, I saw that. So let's talk through, what could we have done differently? What, what might it have looked like if we'd have done this instead? And so we can we can have a, correct, a correcting talk without it being, a, you're being called to the principal's office because nobody wants that. Um, and so don't just have a formal corrective conversation, but have informal corrective conversations as well. And it doesn't mean that they don't have weight. It doesn't mean you soft play those. It just means that um, you don't wait to have that conversation until it feels like they're in trouble. Um, another thing that I think you have to communicate clearly is organizational objectives. The higher you are on the flow chart, the less people at the bottom of the flow chart really understand the organizational uh, objectives. And so it's really important. And we all assume if we're at the top of the flow chart, that everybody gets it. Well, I know what it is. Of course they understand, but they don't. So we have to clearly communicate that over and over and over, uh, talk to them about that stuff because that's going to help them feel engaged. It's going to help coach them because if they understand the organizational objectives, it's going to help them do their job better. Um, so that's part of coaching. Uh, the fourth thing that I would say that we need to communicate clearly is knowledge. Uh, and this, let me explain what that one is. Um, I would just say be generous with what you know. And depending on your environment, because uh, I've been in sales environments where we were all on the same team technically, <laughs> but uh, we were we were competing with each other in a lot of ways. And so uh, there was something so freeing. Uh, there was a team I was on. I was working as a headhunter, and it was a sales environment because we we ate what we killed and. Um, and it was so freeing whenever I began to share leads with other people in my office and they saw, Hey, this is something we can do. And this is a good thing. And Hey, this might be healthy for us overall. It was really cool when that started happening. And all I was doing was just going, okay, like 
I feel like this is the way Jesus would lead, so this is what I'm going to do, and I feel like it's the right thing. And anyway, and so there's something powerful about just being honest with people and speaking truth to them and uh, sharing knowledge with them. And so one of the most important things I can do as a leader is to share knowledge with my team uh, and not always in a formal setting, again, where I'm going, okay, everybody sit down. I'm going to teach you now. But uh, just letting them go with me on stuff. We've got a residency program, and Michael was one of our residents until recently. He just got moved into a part-time position here at the church, so well done, Michael. Um, Katie is one of our residents still, though, and one of the things we try to do with our residents is uh, put them in informal learning opportunities. So, like, they will shadow pastors, and um, I might take a resident with me to go to a lunch appointment. You know, I'll check with the person to make sure they're cool with it, and there's not something private they were wanting to discuss, but I'll bring one of the residents with me because I want them to watch. And a lot of times I'll tell them, hey, I just want you to watch this interaction. I want you to think about, you know, how you would engage. And if you got a question, ask, but, you know, come on. And so I just want them to see what this looks like. I want them to see how I relate to another pastor. I want them to see how I relate to the Chamber of Commerce or the Ministerial Alliance or whatever it is. I want them to see some of that stuff. Um, because even in those moments, they should be learning. They should be gleaning things from that. And so... I don't want to share that with them. It would be a lot easier, to be honest with you, if I was just like, no, I don't need you. Go away. You know, it's more work to go. Come with me. Come, go on this trip with me. I want you to see this. But it's worth it because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sharing knowledge. I'm communicating that clearly to them. Um, yeah, one of my notes I put in here is add value to everyone you know. Um, add value everywhere you can to everybody you know. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's helped us in our community, and even in Blairsville as we're adding down there, is that I think the churches in our community largely understand this, that we want to add value to other churches in our community. It's not just about us. Um, that in Blairsville we want to add value. That pastors, I want to add value. Um, and there's, there's something freeing, there's something powerful about that when we're adding value to the people around us, but especially the people in our organization who are trying to develop. Um, they feel valued. They feel uh, important. They feel, and, and it's going to help people stick. It's going to help people stay, all those kind of things. Whenever we communicate clearly what we know and, um, and we share that with the people around us. Okay. Number four under be a coach. Uh, listen well. A lot of leaders talk really well. They communicate maybe really well, but they don't listen so well. And I think that's one of the things, especially with, uh, millennial generations that are coming more and more into the workforce, it's really important that we actually listen, that we're actively listening to them. And it doesn't mean that we have to cater to everything they say. It just means we need to pay attention. We need to hear what they're saying. We need to engage. Uh, so listen well. Be, I guess in that way, be teachable. Don't just be a teacher, but be teachable. Uh, the last thing under be a coach is this. Give opportunities to be coached by others. Um, as an organization, we don't send very many people on on uh, conferences. We just don't. I don't see the value as much in conferences um, for us. But what I do like to do is I love for people in our organization to go spend time with somebody at a bigger church that does their job. So if somebody says, can I go on a conference? I'll probably go, no, or you got to prove to me that there's value there. That's not just a church paid vacation for you because uh, I've been there before. And uh, so I was like, that's not what we want to do. But if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm building a relationship with this person at this church in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And man, I would love to go shadow them for two days. It's going to cost a hotel and food and gas. Are you cool with that? Almost undoubtedly, I'm going to say yes because I want them to be coached by people who aren't in this building. I want them to be coached by people who are doing their job better than they're doing it at a level they want to be at. Um, and so many times, and those of you that are parents understand this, so many times as a parent, I'll say something to my kids over and over and over and over and over, and then somebody else will say the exact same thing, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been saying that to you, right? And that's one of the reasons I bring in guest speakers here at Summit is because I'm going to say the same thing over and over and over, and some guest speaker will come in and say it just a little different, and the people will be like, that was gold. It's like manna from heaven. And I'm like, I've been saying this to you people, right? And at the end of the day, I don't need credit for it. I just need them to get the principle. And the same thing with your teams. So many times, them just being around somebody else, hearing it a different way is going to connect and click with them. So give opportunities to be coached by others. Last thing is this. Um, fourth thing, model good leadership. If you want good followers, be a good leader. Be a leader worth following. How about that? Um, you can't teach good character, but you can model it. Um, if somebody is in your organization and they've got the wrong heart, um, they're not a person of high character, 
um, you've got a couple of options. If you are able to fire them, you can fire them. Um, but if you can't fire them, which is, is what I suspect some of you have to deal with, then the best thing to do is just model good character for them. Uh, l- love them well. Um, help them, help grow them out of that bad character. Uh, so model it well. Show them what you would like them to lead like. Um, unfortunately, we, we attract and reproduce what we are. Um, and your kids are evidence of that, right? You're like, oh, I see myself in my child. And there's times you're like, oh my gosh, I see myself in my child, right? You're like, I can't believe they said that. And I'm like, that's what I say, right? And same thing with our teams, with our uh, employees, whatever it might be. Uh, we re- reproduce what we are. So if you don't like what you see, maybe that needs to start with you a little bit as well. Uh, if you want high capacity, high character leaders, just be a high capacity, high character leader. So that is my rundown. Uh, four big thoughts on uh, leadership development. So I'm happy to open it up to the floor. Michael, do we have, are you, are you online? Yeah, we're online. So I'll just need to ask you guys to use this microphone for your questions for the people online so they can hear you. Awesome. Yeah. Questions, comments, feedback. And I'd love to hear from you guys too, as there are questions. So let's talk through developing a team. What does that look like? Hey, Bob. Hey, Mel. I just got a, one single question that kind of tripped me up at the very beginning. The lifespan of businesses has decreased that much? Yeah. Yeah, according to, um, oh, there was an InnoCytes report. Um, but yeah, it's it's shrunk uh, from, yeah, 1997 to 2018 is when the report actually came out. So do they have a handle on the factors that are involved with this? Uh, yeah, one of the things it talked about was that... Um, um, well, there were several things. Number one, technology is moving faster than ever before. And a lot of the companies, they, they become successful because they do something well, but they don't adapt very well. So they just keep doing what they're successful at. And then their return is less and less. So that's part of it. Another part of it is uh, they cited that generations are smaller now. So that tastes change faster, all those things. So it's not just technology. But generations are smaller than they used to be. So shared experiences, tastes, all that kind of stuff. So that's part of what's causing all these organizations that would be around for 30 years to, yeah, now 12. So that, that was part of it. Okay. Did they say anything about, like, a lot of that's market-driven. Mm-hmm. What about internal within the companies, how they're managed? Yeah, they didn't talk a lot about that. Um but it was more about how they how they interact with the consumer and things like that. Okay. So, and it was a real. I mean, it was a, all the companies on the S and P five hundred. So it was obviously a broad range of companies. Uh, it wasn't just you know manufacturing or you know things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very shocking to me. Yeah, I had to go back. I read it like four times because I was like, surely this isn't right. And I was like, well, that twelve years. Surely that's like their peak years. And it was like, nope, that's their lifespan, their actual lifespan. So, yeah, it was shocking. So when you're in a sales environment and um, you are looking for potential to lead the team and you're not necessarily looking for someone that's like a rock star at sales, what would be a couple qualities that you're looking for? For somebody who's a high-capacity leader but not necessarily a killer sales person. Good at their job, yeah, which is sales, yeah. Um. I mean, gosh, it would be kind of the typical leadership stuff. It would be somebody who's empathetic, somebody who's self-aware. Um, unfortunately, in our culture, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, I, I think we default to leaders who know how to communicate well verbally. Mm-hmm. So when somebody knows how to tell a story, they end up being they end up being in charge of stuff a lot of times. And I don't know that that's necessary, but I think that's some, something that our culture propagates. So, I mean, I, I think those would be a couple of things. Spit out some other things that we should be looking for as leaders in an organization off the top of your head. High energy, yeah. I think maybe what's a little different about my organization is that I'm, I can't shadow the team I'm leading, so I mm-hmm. can't see how they're working with, um, you know, their customers. Yeah. Um, we're all spread across the U.S., so it's hard for me to see what they're doing other than when they're speaking with me. Yeah. And so I'm having a hard time of finding, other than the rock stars who, mm-hmm. like you said, don't necessarily equal leadership, who should be growing or who I should invest my time in. 
Yeah, and and that's hard too because, you know, I was going to say you can still look at all the data. I mean, you still have a ton of data points you can look at. Even if their sales aren't here, you can still see... You like know, consistency. Yeah, you can, yeah, there's still a lot of stuff you can look at. And so I think that can drive conversations. Um, but but I, I think at the end of the day, leaders are still going to be able to be empathetic, connect well with the people that you want them to lead. Uh, they're they're going to be self-aware. They're going to understand how they're interacting, what that looks like. I mean, those are the kind of people I would want mm-hmm. um, that are going to add value to your organization. Because obviously for you... People who sell are going to add a lot of value, yeah. but but if if that's not exclusively what you're looking for, yeah, I think okay. there there might be some other people who maybe their sales aren't there, but they do lead well, and that's where you might be able to go. Okay, you're not getting the kind of results that our organization typically celebrates, right? But there's still value. You still have value to the organization because you can do this or this or this. Yeah, I think so, I need to like dig into the the team as a whole and yeah. And you know what? This might sound silly. You might even be able to just have some conversations with some people on your team and just ask the question, hey, who, who are some of the people that are leaders? And not, yeah, not necessarily okay. sales leaders, yeah. but who are the people? Because they'll be able to say, man, I trust this person. Okay. Man, this person has really helped me. And even if their numbers aren't bigger, your team will be able to tell you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've never asked yeah. them. That's yeah. Great. Yeah. For those of you that are watching online, uh, the comment was, you know, go to those that are uh, ask ask the people on your team. Hey, uh, who would you go to if you're looking for advice? Because yeah, that'll reaffirm who the leaders are. Well, hold on, I got a question in the back. We'll come back to you. Is that okay? Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. So a lot of companies these days are changing their culture and trying to take more of a, a Google approach, uh-huh. where they're trying to create more of a team atmosphere. The problem they're running into is you have a lot of the older, experienced employees who are very hardworking but uh, just want to do their job and are just used to doing the day-to-day activities. And then the millennials, the younger generation who embraces the team approach but doesn't have the same work ethic, not Mm -hmm. the stereotype. But it's it's, So what would you tell those leaders who want to get the most out of both sides and still create that team approach without sacrificing one side or the other? Um, in my experience, what I've seen is a lot of times that, that group you talked about that more experienced is more focused. A lot of times they're not as focused on end results as they are the means to get those end results. So what they're, they're upset with is not actually what's produced. They're more upset with how it's produced. And so if you can help refocus people on outcomes instead of just the day-to-day stuff, it really helps. Because a lot of times what we're actually seeing with millennials, it's not that they're working less hours, it's that they're working weirder hours. So instead of working 8 to 5 or 9 to 5, they might work uh, 10 to midnight, but they're just going to do it in spurts. They're going to do it here, you know, um, or they might work 12 hours one day and 3 hours the next, and you know, and so it's just going to look different. So I, I think as long as the outcome is still what the organization needs it to be, I think I would help the, the older, the older group, more established group, focus on the outcome instead of the, instead of the process. I don't know. Does that make sense? Anybody else have any thoughts on that? That's a great question, Mark. Yeah, we had a hand right up here. The, and, and it might be weird to a room of leaders, um, but one of the Western equipment dealer uh, organizations put together a survey, and one of the big challenges that they had was finding people that even wanted to be leaders in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were having, you know, you know, th- these important positions and high-paying positions, and nobody wanted to do them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and so that's unusual to us because we all just assume that everyone wants to do that. And then you look around and, and nobody is there. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd love to hear some feedback from you guys. If you guys have some thoughts or some theories, I'd love to hear some of that. I, I've got an idea, but but yeah, I'd love to hear if you guys. Sean. I think it has a lot to do with just people being comfortable. Um, people are not don't like to be uncomfortable stepping into a new job, stepping into a new role. I think a lot of times that people are jumping jobs, they're avoiding pain not necessarily trying to find something better. Yeah. Um, they're hoping for something better, but really they're avoiding pain. Um, 
the better is the pay on the short end, and then oftentimes they're not happy with the job. Uh, so I think that there's a couple things. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Why people don't want to assume leadership positions in organizations? Lack of confidence? Yeah, I think that could be part of it. Desire for comfort, lack of confidence. That covers a lot of bases, just in life life in general. Um, I, I know um, I heard a story a, a few years ago, um, actor Kevin Costner. Um, he was interviewed, and he said, uh, and, and he does not claim to be a religious man, but he said in the interview that when he was younger, he felt like he was supposed to be a pastor. And then he went to a church uh, growing up, and he said, the pastor at our church was so miserable, I thought, there's no way I ever want to do that. And he did. Obviously, he became an actor. And, you know, uh, and I think, I think our approach to leadership tells a story to the people that follow us about what leadership is like. And I think for many of us, we, we are victims. Maybe not directly, but we like to talk about how I was the first in and last out. And we, you know, like we're a little bit of a martyr because we're the boss. And well, you guys don't know. I had a boss one time who like would actively tell our staff how hard his life was because of us. Right. So there's a number of issues there. But at the end of the day, like at that point, I was like, I never want to be a pastor. If that's what being a pastor is like, no, thank you. I will do this the rest of my life. And I think that's part of it too. I think both of these guys were exactly right on. I think there's comfort. I think there's but I think sometimes it's just us. We tell bad stories to people, and we don't even intend to, you know. Do you think that loneliness plays a factor in that, people not wanting to be the leader? Because yeah. just by definition, you're in a place by yourself because, uh, you know, so. We've ta- have we talked about this? At, yeah, we've talked about this some before. But I think whenever somebody's promoted from within, there's a lot of value there. But the challenge is now you've got to be the boss over these people that you were friends with before. So the people that would come to you before and go, can you believe the boss? Now you're the one being talked about by those people. And it is, it's isolating, it's lonely. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely something to that probably, depending on the organization. So this question has a couple layers to it. Um, the first layer is, do you think it's possible to find the characteristics in a person who might have high potential, who you could develop in the context of vetting their resume and a job interview. Um, if you do think that's possible, how would you do it? If you think that's hard, harder to do and maybe maybe not so possible, then w- what was what would be like the financial value that you would uh, <laughs> ascribe to something like an internship program or a residency program for people who are trying to find good people, but they you maybe aren't sure they can do it through the job interviewing process. Okay, so let me back up. Your first question was, can you, basically, can you mine, can you figure out if somebody's a high-capacity leader from a job interview or resume? Is that what right. you Right, yeah, okay. is that enough interaction? I think you can. I think, I think many leaders and hiring directors, and remember, I was a headhunter for a while, so I saw this. Uh, I think many hiring managers um, think they're smarter than they actually are. So it's real easy. Uh, we, we trust our gut when it comes to one-on-one interactions. So we talk to somebody and we go, man, they're perfect. Cause we trust ourselves that much, but we're idiots. Like we misjudge people all the time. And so, uh, so I think you can, but I think sometimes you just get lucky. Um, and I tell people all the time, you would never get married on a first date. So I would never hire somebody on a first date. Um, I want to get to know them over the course of time. I want to, and that's, to, you know, you mentioned residency. That's one of the reasons I like the residency is because now we've got people in a work environment. We see how they are. We see what their character is. We see what their production value is, all that kind of stuff. And we haven't risked putting them on full-time staff and benefits and salary and all that kind of stuff. So so that's that's part of it for me. So I think you can. I think it's really hard. I think it's much harder than what people think it is. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So on the other side of that, somebody who's trying to get into a position or like a dream job. Um, what would you say to them about accepting a position that's unrelated to what they're passionate about in order to make connections to open the doors to what they're passionate about? So they're sacrificing maybe developing themselves in the area that they want to be developed in, but it's the human, how much value is associated with the human relationships of the networking as opposed to developing yourself into an ace who doesn't know anybody? Yeah, that's a good question. Sean, did you want to speak to that? Yeah, I think that question would be answered on how much can you learn in that role that helps you on your goal to where you want to end up. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and I think, um, I don't know if you guys follow Mike Rowe at all. You know, used to do dirty jobs. Um, Mike Rowe, I've heard him say this several times. The people that say follow your passions, like they're lying to people. Like, don't do that. Don't follow your passions because that's going to lead you to get an interpretive dance degree. You know, like you're never going to make any money. You're never going to be able to pay your bills. And so he says, don't follow your passions. Like, look for value. You can do you can do things you're passionate about in your free time. But if you look for the perfect ideal job, you're probably never going to find it. And um, and so I would probably say the same thing. Hey, if there's an organization that you're like, man, I want to learn from these guys. Yeah, go be a janitor if you have to. If that's going to help you learn you know, what the, the skills, the culture, whatever it is you feel like you want to learn. Or, but with that in mind, like you asked about the relationships, I, I think that's hugely important because, again, we talked about this. You can't teach character. So if I find somebody with the right character, the right, the right fit with our organization, if they don't have the perfect skills, we can train for skills. But if somebody has the wrong character, I don't care how skillful they are, they're going to be a cancer for our organization. So that's where 100% I'm going to hire relationships if I can, people that I know that I have a track record with. So that's good. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. So something I'm finding in trying to to develop a team is this kind of paradox of leadership as as you grow as a leader, you actually make less decisions. They're just yeah, bigger. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you're pushing. And this is something we've talked about. You push decisions down the flow chart. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes as you're, as I'm finding, as I'm trying to develop people, that's a hard thing for them to let go of. Right. Yeah. And I think you talked yeah. about, they, they don't feel like they're working as hard anymore because mm -hmm. it's not that grind that they're doing. It's higher level, less decision-making, more relationship building. How, how do you coach people out of that? Oh, you know, man. you talked about the sales folks, coaching them out of that. You're just cranking the handle to do the work. And then freeing them to, to, you know, management by walking around yeah. and, and, and those things. Man, that's hard, especially, um, so when we've taken people out of other industries into, into church world, it, that's one step. But then it's another thing to go, no, 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 no. I, I don't want you to be a doer. I don't need you to do this work. I need you to, you're responsible for the work, but I don't want you doing the work. You're responsible to make sure somebody does it. So raise somebody up. So that is hard to get somebody to make the jump. But one of the things I've tried to do is um, talk about the, the wins. So like when it happens, go, hey, did you see that? Man, you did such a good job with that. How did that happen? Well, we, okay, great. Like that's what we're talking about. So that's what we're trying to do is just reinforce that good behavior and go back to, man, you did awesome with that. That's what we want to see in this area too. Like that's, you know, so that, that's been the best thing I've seen that we've done to do that. But it's hard, man. When somebody's used to just, I'm going to go in and grind and I'm going to work and it's hard to get them to make that shift. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've had that conversation, gosh, I don't know, with at least four of our current employees, like, cause they go, oh, I feel bad about passing this on to, and it's like, no, 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 that's what I need you to do. That's what our organization needs you to do. But it is, it's a hard shift for sure. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? It's a great question. How do you help somebody make that move from being a doer to a, a leader, basically? Yeah. Yeah, Aaron. Oh, sorry. Okay. His pertinent thoughts. <laughs> um, just kind of curious if anybody has anything to share on how they overcame, I guess, guilt of delegation. Like, I think sometimes I realize I need to do it more, but I feel like I'm dumping on people. But, and like, as you said, that that's what the organization needs me to do. But I also feel like I've been the person who has the dump truck backing mm -hmm. up on me. So I don't want to turn into that person. But, yeah, I want, to, I want to develop that habit in a healthy way. I have some thoughts on this. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's useful to have your organization and the people who are hesitant to delegate responsibility to observe the consequences of not doing so. <laughs> so, like, for instance, if there's only one person who can do a job adequately and then that person gets sick or can't show up one night and everything crashes – then that feels a whole lot worse than delegating responsibility. And so I think that's kind of a one way of thinking about it. Yeah, I think so. And um, and I think part of it's our motivation too, Aaron. So when we're delegating, am I doing this just because I'm lazy and I just don't want to do the work? 
Or am I doing this because, okay, this is going to free me up to do work that only I can do. It goes back to the thing I said earlier about the, hey, if somebody can do it 60% as well as you can, delegate it. Because it's not just so we can sit back and be at ease. It's so that we can do something that they cannot do. Um, and so I think it goes back to our motivation too. So if your motivation isn't like, like I'm going to get out of here two hours early today because I'm going to make them do this work, I wouldn't feel bad at all about going, okay, this is part of it. As long as we're empowering them to do the work. If we're just giving people work and we're not empowering them to actually do it, that's a problem. That's an issue. Um, but I think if they're empowered to do it, um, they're equipped, we give them the tools, I wouldn't feel bad at all. And so I don't know if that answers your question. I think all I did was describe the problem and tell you to stop feeling bad. <laughs> Which is not helpful at all. So I'm sorry. I, I, just, I want to double down on that. Make sure that they're without that to do. Yeah. I think that's the key is make sure they have the tools to do it. Yeah. Upload it and, and they don't have it. Yeah. You pour it into them to be able to do it. You will feel that resentment. So yeah. If you, if you prep them for it, yeah. they know how to do it. That's yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to like it. They still might feel like it's getting dumped on them. But yeah, that's good. Katie Stevens. Question. Okay. New question. New direction. Um, so you talked about, um, you know, identifying leaders and calling them into that and then maybe them not wanting to step in the position. Mm -hmm. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, what if you have someone who is insistent <laughs> upon stepping in the position and may not be the best fit? Is that like a hard conversation you have to yeah. have? Or yeah. is it like, we'll see how it goes? And I don't want to well, say put them in the position and watch no, them fail. No, I, I think you can do that, though. Okay. Um, I think you can put people in positions and say, Okay, um, hey, I haven't given you this opportunity because of this, you know, here's what I've seen, but I'm going to give you this opportunity. Prove me right or prove me wrong. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you can do it in a non-hateful way. We, I'm cheering you on. I want you to succeed. So I'm going to help you. But, you know, if, if you move into a leadership position, it's going to be because you've earned it, not because you lead at your work or because you, you know, whatever, you feel like a leader. Uh, and church world is weird, guys, honestly, because people can pull out the trump card of, well, I feel called to. And how are you supposed to tell them, no, God's not calling you to that? Like, you know, God might have told you, but he told me you're not. So, like, you can't argue with them. So it's a little different in the church world, too. Did you have a follow-up or thought? In that sense, would it be fair to have, like, a reasonable to have, like, a trial period of yeah, leadership? I think I, I think you, you could. And I wouldn't call them a leader necessarily. But I would just tell them, hey, here's some things I would want to see out of you. In order to be qualified for this role, here's what, here's some things I would need to see you do. So, hey, over the next 90 days, let's walk through that. Let's talk about some things I'd like to see, and let's just talk about it along the way. And, you know, we're not going to wait till the 90-day to go, nope, you stink. You're not doing it. You know, we're going to talk about it. Through, you know, does that make sense? So I would probably lay it out like that and then check on them. And if, if it doesn't work out, hey, it's okay. We love you. We're still excited for you, you know. There's still a place for you on this team. It just means it's not a great fit. So so let's say that you uh, bring someone in on the ground and you develop them into a high-caliber leader. Um, how do you prevent them from being poached? You can't. Um, I mean, there's always going to be somebody that pays more. So that can't be it. What, what I try to do personally is uh, on the front end, I'll, I'll make the expectations very clear that I don't expect any of our team to be with us forever. Because I think, especially in church world, sometimes we'll make that expectation and, you know, we'll, the pastors will kind of indicate that we're all going to grow old, old here and die together. And it's like, that's not even reasonable. So I, on the front end, I'll tell people like, hey, I don't expect you to be here forever. Um, and that even, I think, gives a sense of, hey, I've got freedom. Like, he's looking out for my best interest. But then I try to compensate our team very well, as well as we can, Um I try to do some of the other things that aren't tied to pay to help them understand that like we're looking out for them. And then, um, and then the other thing is, man, I try to build a culture and a vision that's so big that people don't want to leave. Um, that they go, man, I could make more going over there. I don't think it'd be more fun. I don't think it would be a better environment, you know? Um, and there's some things you can't just can't do because some people are like, Hey, I'm done here. I want to be in a more urban area. It's like, well, that's not going to be Indiana, Pennsylvania. Like, we can't do anything about that. But I think you just build the best culture. Um, you, you compensate as well as you can reasonably and, uh, and you just make it real hard for them. <laughs> so I don't know. That's probably what we do personally. Yeah. Do you have some thoughts on that? I, I just want to throw out like, he, he's literally stole I, the mic. Did from I still? You raised your hand and then he took the mic. Go ahead. <laughs> friends, I'm allowed. So like, so, 
super quick. I find it like the highest honor when my folks get poached. Oh, yeah. Like if, if we developed them and we see, I don't want to say a steady churn, mm-hmm. but, but a reasonable amount of people being sought and paid higher. Mm-hmm. That's another motivator for other people to look at those roles and go, "Wow, yeah, you know, wanna, you're developing people well." So, for sure. in 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 what we do, if you if you are consistently getting people offered more, and it's an honor. That's a great thing. We're doing our job developing people. Yeah, that's very good that you can feel that way. I still don't feel that way. If somebody leaves here, I st- it feels still uh, still feels a little bit personal, and I try to bury that as much as I can. But yeah, I I totally get that. Uh, yeah, what were you gonna say? I think sometimes we fear people leaving too much, um, uh-huh. and especially in a in a bad situation that that just it doesn't usually get better with time. Um, sometimes we put too much emphasis on keeping the players that we have, and we don't realize with an exodus may become something better. It doesn't always happen, but oftentimes. I think I've told this group before. Um, I always am a little sad when a staff member leaves, but there's always a little bit of me that's happy no matter who it is because now I'm like, all right, who are we gonna go get? Like. Let's go. And I look at it like, um, it's, it sounds terrible. I almost look at it like a game. Like, who is the best possible person I can go find? And I'm going to go get them. You know, like, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like a competition with myself. Like, okay, could we get somebody? Yeah, let's go, let's go after that person. And we have no business going after them because they make more money. They're a bigger church. They're, but if that's who we feel like, let's go get them. I'm not going to say no for anybody, you know, so that's the approach I kind of have. So I, like a little bit of me gets excited whenever a staff member leaves because it's like, all right, game on, you know, let's go see who we can get and what God's going to do. So we got about four minutes left. Any other questions? How do you um, balance compassion and assertiveness when you're trying to develop somebody? And do you do it on an individual by individual level? Like you just look at each person and try to figure out how much they can handle? Or do you try to push them beyond what they can handle because you know who they could be? Uh, I think it, everybody's different. Um, I realized, like, when I was in high school and played basketball, uh, we had a really good high school basketball team, and our coach was great. And he he was a master of identifying what each player needed, and he would cuss some of the guys out and, like, chew their rear. And with me, uh, if I did something stupid, he would never do that. He would pull me over to the side and go, Mel. Why are you doing that? Like, okay, here's what I need you to do. Because he knew if I publicly shame him, it's not going to work. Like, I would shut down if he did that. So uh, I think uh, even in high school, I learned from that. And I think I, I realized, man, some people need a pat on the back. Some people need a kick in the rear. And just identifying that. Because even sometimes there's people who need a pat on the back, but once in a while they'll need a kick in the rear. You know, like it's not even the same for each person individually. So I think you've got to have enough discernment to recognize that and see that personally. So any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think it's different for everybody. I have another question if no one else has one. Of course you do. (laughs) So, okay. So imagine you are part of a really big company or a company that's becoming really big Mm -hmm. and you can no longer be the person in charge of developing people for critical roles, but instead you have to delegate that responsibility to other people who are in managerial type positions. Mm -hmm. So these would probably be people who you've promoted from within or who you have the opportunity to promote from within what are some characteristics you look for for people to essentially be duplicates of yourself in that kind of position of developing people and taking on a leadership role that you already have, you know, just at the top of the umbrella, so to speak? I mean, this is going to sound terrible. I think we've got some written thing, um, some things written out that we would go, here's some kind of attributes or characteristics or values, whatever you want to call it. Here's a list of some things we want to see. But man, for most of our team uh, that I've, I mean, I've hired everybody except for a couple of them. With everybody, it's been like, there's been a moment in our relationship that I've been like, yep, yep, we got to hire them. Like, And I, I, it's not that I could even identify like, okay, they checked all the boxes as much as it was like, just almost like a gut feeling like, okay, we've gotten to the point now. I know that we're going to be worse if we don't have this person on our team. Does that make sense? And so I don't know how to like translate that. Um, and, and that's probably a lid in my leadership even, cause I don't know how to communicate that. Like I'm not going to let go of hiring anytime soon because I don't know how to communicate that well or how to boil that down and help somebody go, here's what we're looking for. Go do it. And so that's, that's an issue in my leadership. Anybody have any thoughts on that? How do you, 
How do you boil that down and help somebody else distill it for somebody? I think it's a struggle. I think it's hard. Yeah. I think maybe one of the most important things might be testing the loyalty to the vision of the overall company. Mm -hmm. So like if, if you're going to put somebody in a position where not only are they a manager, but they're in charge of fleshing out the roles of a particular company and developing people, they, if they don't have the loyalty to the vision, then they might develop it in a direction that they want it to go yeah. instead of that might be one thing. Yeah, and that's one of the challenges, even with us adding other locations, it's like, man, we've got to make sure as we add other locations and we're looking at, hey, are we making sure the, the vision is first and foremost that we're staying in track, staying online? Aaron, did you have a thought on that? or This will be the last comment. We'll wrap up. I just had a question. How do you, how do you test someone's loyalty to the vision? Or, or maybe a little bit of even, what does that mean and how do you do it? Yeah, we have to bleed them in and bleed them out. I don't know. It's like, here's your test. You have to flick your high beams. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Uh, I think, again, that's, that's more felt than tested. You know what I mean? So I don't, and I don't think there's, that's foolproof. I think it's something you feel, you sense, you get to know. I don't know if there is a foolproof way of knocking that out. So we, we ended up with a couple of really unsatisfactory answers tonight. <laughs> there was no high point now where I could just go, the end, thanks for joining us, we're done. You know, it was like, we don't know. All right, uh, well, at least we're honest. So uh, guys, we're going to stick around for a few minutes and visit if you guys want to, feel free. Um, and for those of you that are watching online, thanks for joining us tonight for Leadership Night Summit Church. If this was helpful at all, feel free, uh, share it with some other folks, let them know, share it with your team, whatever you'd like. If you'd like the notes from tonight, um, Put a comment in the comment section with your email address and uh, we'll get that to you. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Let me pray and we'll get you guys out of here. God, thanks so much for the time we had together tonight. Lord, I pray that uh, there would be something from this evening that we would be able to take with us that'll grow our leadership, help us lead our teams better, uh, help us develop people better. And ultimately, um, I pray that you'd be glorified through it. So God, thank you for what you've done here tonight. Thank you for the people that were here. I pray your blessing on us as we lead. I pray that we would lead and it would bring you glory. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, God bless you. Have a great night. Appreciate you.